building digital capacity for the arts. I think we've heard from Paul about some of the real things that are being done and what happens when you get access, particularly to audiovisual archives. But of course, audiovisual archives are not the only thing there are. And, and part of the point about the Digital Public Space Initiative and the data model that Jake is talking about is that it applies to all sorts of digitised information. That's text, bibliographic records, scanned documents, anything. And we'll also incorporate born digital material that doesn't have a real-world equivalent. And, and so it is a very broad, overarching model that seeks to provide a mechanism whereby you can find, engage with, if you have the appropriate rights, use or reuse material from a large number of cultural institutions. And crucially, as Jake said, to do a lot of that work automatically. So it's not about individuals matching up their catalogues. It's about taking existing catalogues, applying some fairly straightforward principles to them, and then ensuring that the computer can figure out what the connections are with a reasonable chance of getting it right. That process can then be fixed. And doing that facilitates exactly the sorts of creative reuse that Paul was talking about. That John O'Confra had to trawl through hundreds of hours of BBC archive footage looking for just the clips he wanted. That Cassette Boy, who makes those fantastic YouTube parodies completely without permission, that take words from largely BBC material and reuse them, has to watch all of that stuff. Just imagine how many hours of The Apprentice that poor man had to watch just to do the Alan Sugar parody. Whereas with access to the digital public space, that sort of fatal undermining of the credibility of a public figure could be done in minutes <laughs> instead of weeks. And obviously there are enormous public benefits that would arise from that. So I don't know if anybody wants to, to kick off with any questions to, to Paul or Jake about what we're up to, but I'm, we're happy to field them. We've got about 15 minutes before coffee break. Happy to take questions from anyone. Um, do we have a roving microphone? We have a roving mic. We have two roving microphones. Now that's what I call being prepared. So who would like to kick off? <coughs> I haven't met this gentleman before, so the fact he's called Eddie Morgan is is it is yeah, Hi, my name is Eddie Morgan. I work at BBC. Can I ask a kind of challenging question, which is what I was feeling, Paul and. Jake, when you were presenting, which is, I felt there was a, there still is a kind of creativity or fun or excitement deficit. So, Paul, your examples were moving and surprising, but quite recherche. And Jake, your examples were good, but quite sort of dusty and encyclopedic and Dorling Kindersley-ish. And neither sets of examples would, Thanks, I think at the moment, excite and cut through and surprise people. They were good as they were, but they weren't life-changingly exciting. So you're dull technically proficient but uninteresting and far too concerned with the negative aspects of human existence to give any real value to these excited and important people here. Can someone get my coat, please? Um, well, I, 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 well, without meaning to sound euphemistic, it's quite easy to be manually excited, which I think is what has happened um, and, you know, up until this point and will continue to happen for quite some time. It's not easy to try and emulate even the creative processes that exist in you know, the head of a three or four year old in a way that is useful and saves some legwork so that it's a bit less of the perspiration and a bit more of the inspiration. It's going to be a long time before the kinds of things that, 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 that the pictures that Paul has painted 
are suddenly made massively easier by the kind of automated in, you know, machine intelligence view that I'm talking about. But when that moment does come, it will be fundamental and world-changing. And I would say, you know, hold your breath. I think I would echo that. But, I mean, it, 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 the fact is that w when you put artists in an archive at the moment, unquestionably, they are fascinated by historical documents. Um, and they, that, they document that experience, and that is what really gets them going. For me, as I was trying to hint, I think the really exciting time will come when what Jake is building comes to fruition and artists can start to integrate different art forms in a new form of expression. Now, I'll say absolutely honestly, I have no idea what the outcome of that's going to be. And I think that's really the exciting concept, that we don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to be quite thrilling to watch the process. Many. And then... Hi, I'm Naomi Korn. Um, an unsurprising question for me, I think. Um, you mentioned, um, Jake, about the um, desirability for the media to be reusable. And you also used the word open. Of course, my eyes, everything opened when you said that. And um, I wondered um, just specifically what type of license have you, have you selected for um, accessibility of both the data and also the media that's found on the site. Okay, well, uh, can, you, can, it just to, can you also explain that the media isn't stored on the site, as it were? Yes, yes, that's okay. That's really so helpful, thank you. The media isn't stored on the site, so that's that one. No, um, what, what, what the, so there's a couple of things. This is, a, this is a prototype system to see what would happen if you tried to do the thing we're trying to do. Um, it's not available. There's literally two people in the entire world who have the password, and one of them is me. We are hoping to share it with the partner organisations who have already contributed material into that. Now, the, 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 the invitation there is for any organisation that does contribute material, they can have access to it, but not at, a, a kind of an, a, not at an open access level. It's a kind of an experimental system at the moment. We, we decided a while ago, or we realised a while ago, that if we waited for all of the, the non-technical difficult stuff to be fixed before we started doing anything, then I would have retired and possibly rotted by the time that we, that we started. So we thought, let's, let's create a thing. Let's try and get as many people as we can to, to play with it, to want more people to have access to it. And then let's see if that can help with the emerging, I think, shift in mindset, uh, mainly, well, partly actually driven by the cultural memory sector, that all of this stuff just sitting in archives, waiting, you know, with the rights holder waiting for that magic kind of it's you moment where someone says, I want to give you £100,000 for that crappy piece of footage of 1970s Norfolk, that actually it's not going to happen. Uh, and the way to get to make new licensing opportunities is to give some sort of visibility. You know, you go window shopping, you don't buy everything, but you probably buy something because you've seen everything. So all of those very difficult questions we know need to be answered. They don't, they need to start now, but they don't need to have finished before we do more work on this. 
and we'll be hopefully looking to people such as yourself to <laughs> advise us on it. I think also there, there will be different answers to different organisations. The, 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 the BBC will have a, a solution to the problem which meets the BBC's needs in its context, but every other organisation will be looking at a different set of constraints, a different set of requirements. And so the idea about the data model is the data model should be as open as possible, so the catalogue is as open as possible. The un underlying assets remain with the organisation that currently owns them, and they then decide how to make them visible. But crucially, you know they're there, so you can either ask for them or you can traverse them. So it's a very similar model to the Europeana model then? Um, yes, I was at a Europeana conference just a couple of days ago, I think just yesterday. Uh, it, it, in that sense, it seeks to be compatible with Europeana, but the digital public space goes beyond that. Europeana is, is just an index and doesn't go above that. The digital public space model that Jake is working on tries to do something bigger, I think in terms of eventually dealing with issues around rights models, issues around authentication and identity. And the BBC is one of a number of organisations, as um, Roly said at the start, grappling with these issues in partnership with many other bodies, because it's something that we all face in common. I think the reason why this seminar is happening now between BBC Arts Council England for the whole sector is because as we move to this digital culture, we all get come up against these issues again and again. And what Jake has managed to do is persuade the BBC as an engineering organisation that they can just build something in the corner that will help us at least understand the question a lot better, even if the actual solution doesn't look like that first answer. We've got time for another couple of questions. Um, so can I take... Do you want to take the microphone? And then I'll come to you, Susanna. Yeah, I, um, in the 90s, was working with BBC Imagineering to make experimental laboratories for mixing up all sorts of talents and also archive footage. And the fun things you had at Kingswood Warren, which were all the bells and whistles that any digerati would want to play with. How open is the BBC, and indeed in partnership with the Arts Council, to incubation models for the cross-disciplinarity that we need to make what's really going to be exciting and entertaining and money-making? I think the answer to that is that they will be as open as um, the pressure that is applied on them to open themselves up to this kind of, to this kind of opportunity. And um, you know, it's, it, it's great hearing Bill and Rowley and Jake talking here this afternoon, um, but anybody who's worked with the BBC knows that there are great people to work with and there are not so easy people to work with in an institution of that kind of size. There's no question, as I was trying to express in, I think, in it, 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 the conclusion of my presentation, that the openness of the BBC of the future will be a direct, directly correlated with the amount of cajoling and pressure and support and opening up of doors that the partner organisations can apply to it. So the more partners the BBC has, the more involvement in other cultural forms it has, the more I think we're going to see an opening up of the assets that they have available. I hope that's optimistic enough for you. Uh, one <laughs> question behind you, Susanna. And then if Susanna's question is brief, we'll have time to come to you as well, and then we'll break for coffee. Susanna Simons from the BBC, but this is most definitely not a BBC question. And it relates to the issue you were discussing before about there being open data sets, but that the content behind it 
not being opened because it, there's a sort of an essential conundrum at the heart of this about rewarding and payment for the content creators and how they monetize the stuff that they've got within the concept of a digital public space. And I'm thinking very particularly about music and musicians, and in this case, classical musicians, where we're encouraging them to make their own recordings and retain the IP themselves with the hope that in the long run they might get revenue back because the old recording model is bust. And I'm struggling really with how the two ideas, the openness and then the rewarding of the content creators quite sit together. Would either of you care to solve the problem that's faced the music industry? Um, I mean, I guess. Mm. I mean, it, yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult question and a fundamental challenge. And, you know, I, I don't have an answer to it. But I'm confident that there is an answer. And even if it's not an answer that is palatable to this generation, I think it will be in 10 years' time. And if the answer isn't palatable, if it isn't happening legally, then it will happen on BitTorrent. And an illegal version of digital public space, which will probably be better than the legal one, will appear and we'll, we'll end up with the same like result. That. Frankly, I'm not bothered which way or the other. Um, to me, the important thing is the, everything held by any public institution is fundamentally paid for by us and by our ancestors. One could take a hard line and say, well, in that case, it's ours. Can we have it back, please? Or at least can we look at it and do certain things with it? Um, as I say, I, I can't see an easy route through to resolution of that in the near term with the existing regulatory legal frameworks, but I'm confident that the case is strong enough for it changing that by hook or by crook, it will. That's probably not a very political answer, but it's my personal hunch. Paul? Well, I, I guess... He's dug a hole. Do you want to leap in it? <laughs> I, I guess that um, the, 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 the work around the digital public space and access to these collections is, um, is not happening in isolation. It's happening at the same time that there are structural changes across the provision of culture in all the areas that we're familiar with. The issue is, as Jake has suggested, is the digital public space project going to be ahead of the curve or is it going to be somehow behind it later on and picking up the pieces? I think being ahead of the curve means that we can begin to tackle some of those problems proactively. Okay, thank you. And again, I refer you to the Ithaca stuff if you want to see about potential business models that may or may not apply. One final question, if you'd like to grab the microphone. Hello, I'm Joe from the Photographer's Gallery. Um, I just wondered, how does this relate to the rest of the web? So when I go into the, to the um, digital public space and I look up Winston Churchill, will it also pull up information from the rest of the web? And the other way around, if I'm on Google and I look up Winston Churchill, will it also pull out information from the digital space? Uh, in short, yes to both. Um, the, you know, from the Google side of it, it has to be available on the open web to be indexed from, I mean, actually what you saw on the, um, on, on the Winston Churchill page there was essentially a cut-down version of the Wikipedia page supplemented with a few events associated with that. I mean, actually, so, you know, at, at the moment within the system we have the 
catalogue from the Royal Opera House. We have a proportion of the British Library's National Bibliography, which covers every book written since the 1940s. We're sucking in, even though it broke the system, the entire database of the National Archives, the Arts Council on the Arts on Film collection. But so, you know, a relatively small amount. But all of those things are looking into things like Wikipedia, into things like the GeoNames database, which says that London is a place and it's part of Greater London, it's part of England, so kind of structured data sets, at uh, DBpedia, which is a kind of linked data database, which is a bit like Wikipedia, but read readable by computers. So fundamentally, it will, the system will try and eat anything that it finds useful. And when it eats it, it becomes part of the system. So in that sense, it's looking for every possible data source that is useful. So if it's on the web, if it's available, uh, then the, the system will take it. When it then becomes a public live thing, it will have introduced, it will have injected a whole load of other material that doesn't yet exist on the web, which will be findable by Google. So it's extending the web and based around web standards, but trying to do something that existing web technologies don't do, and this thing called the semantic web does very well. And in that sense, the DPS can be seen as part of the larger project to build the semantic web around a particular set of institutions at the moment and, and broadening. But it's absolutely based around standards and openness and not a walled garden. Well, thank you all for your um, patience and attention. Thanks to Paul Gerhardt and Jake Berger for telling us about the possibilities and one particular implementation of the principles of Archive on the Web. Don't forget to share and bookmark our podcasts. Video and audio is available from all our seminars and masterclasses at artscouncil.org.uk slash digital capacity. That's artscouncil.org.uk slash digital capacity. Building digital capacity for the arts. You've been listening to a podcast download from Arts Council England and BBC Academy.